Well, thank you, choir, orchestra, and worship team for leading us in that time of worship through music this morning. Well, uh, it's good to see you on Memorial Day. I think I have not seen you on Memorial Day Sunday for maybe 10 years. I don't know. <laughs> so it's uh, unusual for me to be here. This is one of those days that I normally take off to go back to Georgia and see family and spend some time there. But because of uh, some moving things this week, as we um, move Savannah and Taylor on up to New York, uh, uh, I, I needed to be here this Sunday for, the, for uh, uh, this time together. And so I'm thankful to be here today. With you. I want to welcome our guests this morning. Thankful that you're here. We've been studying through the book of Hebrews, and I hope that you have a great time being here today and you feel welcomed and loved uh, here in our church family today. Uh, we are grateful for uh, the fact that God has blessed this church family over the years. He's used us in, in glorifying Him in this region. I really believe, dear church family, our best days are ahead of us, and so I look forward to seeing what God has in store for us. Hebrews chapter Five Verses 11 through 14 will be my text for today. I do want to say it word, Brother Bobby did a great tribute this morning uh, honoring those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. I too just want to say how grateful I am for those uh, who made that ultimate sacrifice, thankful for their families and how we want to pray for them today too and just um, pray for uh, God's comfort in their lives as we remember this weekend. And I always uh, think of the ultimate sacrifice for freedom. You know, freedom is not free. We, we know that. And the ultimate sacrifice for freedom was one offered by our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life and rose again the third day so that those who know him are freed from the tyranny of sin forevermore. And I am thankful for that. And I am thankful for those also who gave the ultimate for our freedoms here in this country. Would you pray with me as we ask God to speak to us now as we open the Word of God and continue our time of worship? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, how thankful I am that we are here today. How thankful I am that we can gather as a church family and we have the freedom to do that. Thank you for those, Lord, over the years who have fought for our freedoms and who have paid the ultimate price pray for your special touch on their families this morning, comfort and peace. May their lives be pervaded by that. And Lord, I thank you for the ultimate sacrifice for freedoms in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for how, Lord, you have loved us in such a way that you sent Jesus to live, suffer, and die and then rise again, that those who believe in Him, those who turn to Him, will have everlasting life. And so, Lord, I thank You that we have freedom from sin's power because of what Jesus did for us. And now, Lord, I ask You that You would enable me to be able to preach the Word of God this morning. I can't without You. And so I pray You'll clothe me with Holy Spirit ability and power I pray you'll deliver the Word of God through me with clarity and conciseness and with conviction, with compassion. I pray that, Lord, it comes with authority because it's your Word, and I pray you'll open our hearts and minds to receive a Word from you. Lord, speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you'll remove distractions and you'll help us understand your Word, and I pray we'll, uh, we'll apply this Word, we'll obey what you're telling us to do in relation to this Word. 
So I pray you'll bless this time now. I pray for our church family. So many are away today, Lord, traveling in different places. I pray you'll keep them safe, and I pray you'll bring them all home safely. And I pray wherever they are, Lord, they would be a, a witness for you. And, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Word of God teaches us here in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, really this subject. Issues to us a warning against spiritual immaturity. A warning against spiritual immaturity. About the year 112 A.D., Pliny the Younger, a Roman magistrate, was writing to the emperor Trajan. And he's writing to him because he's trying to figure out exactly what he needs to do with these Christians that he is coming in contact with. Um, Pliny's practice has been to really pressure them to recant their faith. Matter of fact, he says that what he would do is he would ask them if they were Christians, and if they said to him, yes, we're Christians, then he would ask them again. If they said, yes, we're Christians, he would ask them a second time or a third time, and he would threaten them with capital punishment, maybe something like this, are you sure you're a Christian? Because if you are, I will put you to death. And he said that those who recanted, then he did not consider them true Christians. Matter of fact, he wrote this, All who denied that they were or had been Christians, I considered should be discharged, because they had called upon the gods at my dictation and did reverence with incense and wine to your image, which I had ordered to be brought forward for this purpose, together with the statutes of the deities, and especially because they cursed Christ a thing which it is said genuine Christians cannot be induced to do so. So what he's saying here is if they were recanting their faith and even cursing Christ, he understood them not to be Christians nor ever to have been Christians. So in the ancient world, when... A Christian was told to bow down and worship idols. If that Christian did so and recanted their confession of faith in Jesus Christ, they were considered not a believer, especially if they cursed Christ. They were certainly proved not to be a true believer because, as this ancient man said, uh, those who are genuine Christians cannot be induced to curse Christ. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to some Hebrew Christians. They are ethnic Jews who have responded to the gospel, and they are now facing persecution. They're now facing opposition. They're facing cultural pressures, and there is a temptation for them to recant, maybe, their faith, but more, uh, more likely to sort of slink off into the shadows and begin to get back involved in Judaism and no longer boldly follow Jesus Christ. They were maybe not anticipating cursing the name of Christ, but they were certainly uh, toying with the idea of behavior that is unbecoming of true Christians. And the Holy Spirit of God inspired the writer of Hebrews to write to these Christians and to encourage them to stay faithful. And in the passage for today, we actually find the cause of this weakness and this temptation in them. 
It's been alluded to already in chapter 1, but now he gets right down to the major issue that is causing them this, such, this weakness that they are being tempted to be unfaithful to Jesus Christ, and that issue is spiritual immaturity. It is stagnation in their walk with God. They are spiritually immature people. And so they're contemplating an unfaithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ because they are not spiritually mature. So what I would say to you this morning is we need to understand that spiritual immaturity is a huge factor for life. It makes us very vulnerable to the deceptions that are out there in the world when we face difficulties for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a danger of being unfaithful to Him if there is a level of spiritual stagnation and immaturity in our lives. Now, at this point here in the book of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul, well, maybe it's Paul, but ever who the writer is, uh, is, is pausing for just a moment after he has written on the work of the high priest and how the Lord Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And so he writes on that and he pauses for a moment and he transitions to another warning passage. And this is probably in chapter 6, the most difficult of the warning passages in the book of Hebrews. There's five of them. And this one's going to be probably the most difficult for us to interpret. And we'll get to that over in chapter 6. And he, and he really is uh, issuing a warning. Before he does, he lets them know of a very serious problem in their lives. And it's that spiritual immaturity. Now, look with me in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, and let's read these verses, then we're going to dive in, and we're going to talk about the dangers, really, of spiritual immaturity. The Word of God says this, "...of whom we have much to say." Now, that means He has much to say about the high priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ, "...and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing." So he needs to explain more to them about the high priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he, he fears they're going to have difficulty in understanding these deeper truths of the Christian faith because, the Word of God says, they are dull of hearing. There is a spiritual stagnation in their lives. And then he goes and he describes some factors that shows their immaturity. He says in verse 12, he really shows where they should be and contrasts where they really are now. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, that's where they should be in their walk with God. They should be teaching other people the things of God. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, they're mature. That is, those who by reason of use or practice, implementation of the truth of God, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The main idea of this text is this. Growing up in the faith requires digesting the Word of God regularly, and to neglect it results in immaturity. 
Verse 11 begins, of whom we have much to say. Again, that speaks of the high priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that compares to that of Melchizedek. We're going to get into that extensively in chapter 7. And he says in verse 11, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The word dull there is a word that means lazy or sluggish. It was used to describe the numbed limbs of a sick lion. So you can imagine that there's a sick lion and his, his legs are numbed up so that he can hardly get up and move around and so he, he can't move, he can't hunt, he, he, he just, he's just in a stagnant spot and cannot move forward and, and progress uh, in any way. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that this is, this is what's happened to you. You're floundering spiritually. You can't get up. You can't move forward. You can't grasp truth. You're, you're in a stagnant uh, uh, space. You're, you're not moving forward. Matter of fact, you're actually sliding backwards. You're regressing in the faith. They were dull of hearing, that is, slow of hearing. Now, what that implies is the teaching of the Word is being proclaimed in the churches, and, and what they're not doing is they're not taking that in and doing it. They're not applying it. They have ignored the truth of God. And they were not always like this because verse 11 says, you have become. There was a point when they were not this way. That word become there is a perfect tense verb in the original language. It speaks of a point in time that continues to have lasting results. So there was a time before this point in time that they started becoming dull, where they were more vibrant spiritually, they were listening to the Word of God, they were applying the Word of God, they were progressing in their walk with God, and now they're not doing that. This also, this hearing, also indicates that central to their worship was the Word of God. So they would, they would be teaching the Word of God in their corporate worship settings. That would be something that everything revolved around. It also is implied in this text that all these new converts would have understood the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. They would have been taught that early on. Matter of fact, because verse 12 tells us that they needed somebody to teach them again. They had already learned them one time, but what happened is they quit doing it. They stopped obeying, and they just lost an understanding of the most basic principles of the faith because they were not... They were not uh, applying those things. But it's very indicative that that was happening in the church. So they, they, were, they were teaching these principles to those who were new converts. That, that causes us to pause just for a moment and take a look at some application. The first thing I want to say about that is this. What we need to understand here in this church, we are a, we're a New Testament, Christ-centered local church. The local church is the headquarters of Jesus Christ on earth. It's where he launches out his mission to the world from the local churches assembled all over. The body of Christ, the church universal, is manifested in the local church, the church that's local. And so we gather together to work together, to glorify God together, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ together, and central to everything we do must be the Word of God. That's why I tell you over and over that if you, when, when, when you're telling people what churches to look for, you've got to tell them it's not the ones that's got the flashiest things and even the best music and the best children's ministry, and we're so grateful to have those. 
First and foremost, we've got to find out what's being taught from the pulpit. Is it the Word of God? That's central to uh, worship of the one true God. So there must be that centralized teaching of the Scripture from the, from the pulpit, from the corporate gathering, and then also in the other groups that meet in the body of Christ, those with the gifts of teaching, using those gifts of teaching there. But then also it means that new, new disciples, those who are new converts, must be taught the foundational principles of God. That's our responsibility to teach them. Now, they, they have responsibility to do it, to obey but we have the responsibility as those who are more mature in the faith to teach those to those new converts. It also means that for us as believers, the Word of God must be central in our lives. It means we must be engaged in the Word of God on a daily basis, taking in spiritual nourishment so that we might grow and develop in our walk with God and we fellowship with God in that and we hear from God in that time. We cannot grow without that. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he said this to Timothy. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. What he meant is reading of the Scripture and then explaining it and then sharing how it's applied. And then he talked about doctrine, which is the systematic teaching of the Word of God, that we learn truths about God, we learn truths about the world around us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul wrote to Timothy and said to him, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Even here in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we find the importance of applying the word of God because there we find a, a warning. We must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard. That heard is the teaching of the word. They didn't, you know, they didn't have one of these to carry around with them all the time. They were dependent upon listening to those who were the pastors, the elders, teach the Word. They would memorize that. They would take that in, internalize it, live it out. And so what they heard was the Word of God. And what the Word of God says in chapter 2 and verse 1, that we're to, to uh, take the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Remember, we talked about that danger of spiritual drift. If we don't pay attention to the Word of God, then we start drifting away spiritually. That's what had happened to them. In chapter 4 of this letter, there was an admonition to enter His rest, enter God's rest. That meant to enter into a life of obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. That's what was meant there. And for that to happen and for the transformation to take place that's going to take place when we follow the Lord obediently. Chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the Word of God is powerful and living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God gets down to the very core of who we are, exposes who we are, exposes what God expects, leads to transformation in life. We're not going to grow, we're not going to develop without the practice of obedience to the Word of God. Neglecting the Word of God leads to a spiritual drift, to immaturity, and to unfaithfulness. That's what happens. We start drifting away, we get stagnant spiritually, we can't even understand the truths that we need to apply anymore to, to move on and progress in our walk with God. We get in that stagnated place, and the next thing you know, we're unfaithful to the Lord. 
The pressures of culture come along, the temptations come along, the enemy attacks come along, and what we do is we find ourselves unfaithful to the Lord. Now, in this text, there are three things that mark the immature Christian. The first one is found in verse 12, and that is that spiritual immaturity results in the inability to teach others the truth of God. That's what verse 12 says. Look with me again in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now again, he's giving the contrast of where these Christians are with where they should be. At this point in their spiritual development, they'd been in the faith long enough to be teaching other people that are less mature than them how they can walk with God. Bringing them along and teaching them the foundational truths that they had learned and they had applied and they had begun to live out in their lives, but that was not happening in them. They were not. They were having trouble grasping the deeper things of God to understand how to have a, you know, go deeper in their walk of righteousness with God each day. And so they needed someone to teach them again the first principles of the oracles of God. The first principles or the elementary principles is like saying the ABCs. It's like saying the ABCs of the Christian life. And these basic truths are necessary to keep growing. Now, this text indicates, a little pause for application for a moment. This text indicates to us that as Christians... We should be teaching those that are just behind us spiritually what we've learned and help them mature in their faith. Every Christian should be teaching other Christians, no, no matter who you are. Now, he's not talking about here necessarily the, the office of teaching. is not talking about the office of a pastor. Certainly that is a responsibility that a pastor has to teach the Word of God. There are other people within our church family who have the gift of teaching, and they're very good at it, and God uses them to help build up the body of Christ. But not everybody has that gift of teaching, but every one of us are to teach. Any one of us can teach. Just, just like a parent, when, um, when, when a parents, when they have a child, then they have this responsibility to begin to teach that child. And they will care for that child, and they will teach that child. They'll teach that child how to eat. They'll, they'll, it's all these basic things they'll start with, and, and that child develops and grows and, and matures. And, and just like that in the, in the Christian life, in the church, that's what all of us are to be doing, helping each other along, helping those who are immature to get, to get more mature, let them understand the truth of God to a greater degree. And so that... That's what we're to, to do. That's expected of believers. But in this case, in Hebrews uh, chapter 5, they were not able to even do that. They had lost sight of some of the most basic principles uh, of the faith. So the first mark we find here in this text of those who are immature is that they're unable, they have an inability to teach those just behind them and bring them forward in their walk with the Lord. A second thing we see here about immature believers in this text is that spiritually immaturity, spiritual immaturity results in an inability to receive solid spiritual food. 12b, 
in verse 13. Look up there in the latter part of verse 12. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, they need milk again. They need to go back to the elementary, foundational uh, truths of the Christian faith and sort of relearn that, re-engage those, begin to apply those again. Understanding those things affect the way you live your life. Now, we don't really know what those... He didn't say anything in chapter 5 about what those elementary, foundational things are, but I think he does in chapter 6. Look in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That's the basic understanding of the gospel. You repent of your sins, turn to Jesus Christ in faith, surrendering to Him as Lord. That changes the whole direction of your life. No longer do you live in sin. You start following Jesus. It, you, you're, you're chasing after Him. You're obeying His truth. Verse 2 of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment, all the understanding of those things affect how we live life. And when you begin to lose sight of those things, then you have a hard time grasping other teaching, deeper teachings about how to walk in, in righteousness. Now, milk and solid food are, are metaphors used to describe the Word of God. Milk speaks of the basic instructions of the faith. Solid food or meat refers to the more advanced truths. Let me give you a couple of examples that we find in Scripture elsewhere. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking... As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, another example. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. So milk and solid food or meat is referring to the Word of God and different depths of the Word of God being taught. Now those who are just on milk, verse 13 says here that they are unskilled in the Word of righteousness. Now what is the Word of righteousness? It, it speaks of Old Testament scriptures. It speaks of the gospel. It speaks of uh, the... Uh, apostolic teaching that's received from the Holy Spirit to the apostles. It speaks of the morals and ethical teachings of, of Christians, how we conduct our life, the behavior we're to have. The Bible tells us in places like 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11 that we are to pursue righteousness. We're to, we're to chase after that, to apply that to our lives and to grow in a righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22, he says... The same thing, pursue righteousness. But they were, um, they were unskilled in the word of righteousness. That is, inexperienced. That's what that word means. Untried. So you know what that means? That means they just hadn't been doing it. 
They neglected it. And because of that, because they wasn't applying what they knew to do, they regressed spiritually. The problem is, now listen to this and don't miss it. They did not do what they knew to do. They were not applying the truth. Now, you know, let's just think about it. If we start adding up how many sermons have been heard uh, by the people in this room, I would be afraid to give an estimate of that. Um, some of us have been around for quite a while. I've <laughs> been around longer than others. And if you've been regular in church over the years, there's no telling how many sermons we have heard. Uh, but here's my question. I wonder how much of the truth we've heard over the years we've actually lived. We've actually applied. Because if we don't apply it, it's not going to do us any good. And matter of fact, what will happen is even what we once knew about the things of God will begin to slip away from us because we're not using it. There was a number of years I was involved in um, a type of martial arts. And so, you, you know, you get in there and you, you do that and you learn all that stuff, you know, and it's just, it just comes natural to you and all that. And then, and then you think you can still do that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, you forget about what about 30 years will do for you. <laughs> but... But what will happen is, though, if you, just, if you don't do that, you don't practice that, I mean, you, you just lose it. You'll forget things. You know, what was once muscle memory doesn't, is not muscle memory anymore. You've got to relearn a whole lot of, a whole lot of stuff if that, if that happens. What we don't use, we're going to lose. If we don't use the truth we know, we're going to lose it. It's going to lose its effect upon us. It will hinder us from gaining any other insight to amount to anything because we're not doing what we already know to do. You know, a, a baby must first be nourished on milk. So she's born, and, and then for a while, all she has is, is milk. And then after a while, I mean, she grows on that, and that sustains her for a period of time, and then she... She keeps growing because that milk's helping her grow. And then she gets to a point where you, you start adding some other softer food in there. Because now her digestive system's able to take that. And so she'll take that in and it'll, she'll digest that and it'll help her keep growing. And then before long, mom and daddy, you know, of course, back in the day, you know, they'd chew up food and spit it back out like a, some bird, you know, that regurgitates stuff. But, you know, that, do that kind of stuff. But... But you just take something off the, your plate and kind of smash it up a little bit, and you give that to the child. Before long, that child's eating, you know, all kind of things. Now, it would be alarming if that child was six years old and had to go back to a bottle. It should be a bit alarming to us if we're so many years into the faith and we're still needing milk. It, it means that we have not applied what we should have been applying for years. And, and what we also know, and every one of us know this, uh, age doesn't necessarily mean maturity, does it? There are people my age that are much less mature than some many years younger than us. What, what equals maturity? We might know more about church life and all this kind of stuff, but what equals maturity is when we 
are taking the truth of God and we're digesting that into our lives and it's transforming us and helping us to keep growing and developing and moving forward in our walk with God. If not, we're going to be babes. And I'm going to tell you something. Babes are vulnerable. A spiritual babe is vulnerable to all the tactics of the, of the enemy, to all the false doctrines that are out there, just like a babe is vulnerable. As I was writing this message last week, I, I thought about when Savannah was a baby. I remember this one time, and I may have told you all this story before because it's just kind of etched in my mind, but Stephanie and I both had the flu. And we're on opposite couches in the living room. You know, we're just like, and then Savannah's the little baby. She's on the floor in the middle, and we're just hoping she can kind of make it on her own there for a while. Yeah, because we're aching and all, and nobody wants to get up. You know, if it's a, if a dirty diaper, it comes just like, oh, you do it. No, you do it. You know, it's like that. And I, but I remember her sitting up, and she just she's just kind of getting, you know, strong enough to sit up. And then I, I, she starts to fall over, and I'm on the couch, and I just kind of roll off and catch her head, and. She goes to the floor, and Stephanie's going, good, good job. You know? So it just, but it, it just made me think of how vulnerable that, I mean, she can't hardly, there, there's a possibility she can get hurt just sitting up. That's how vulnerable a, an infant can be. That's the same thing with um, a spiritual babe. And, and that's why they were so vulnerable, these Hebrew Christians were so vulnerable because of, their immaturity, what they, were, what they were facing. Let me tell you what the Lord Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13, verse 12. He said, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. You know what he's teaching there? What I've just been saying. If we respond to the truth he gives to us, then we're able to receive further truth. And it helps us keep growing and advancing in our walk with God. We've got to, we've got to keep growing in our walk with God, obeying. And if not, we're going to get sluggish. And then we're in danger of being unfaithful to our Lord. So two things we've already seen from this text. You know, those who are immature really can't teach others. Those who are immature can't receive solid spiritual food. They need to be relearn the basics again. And the third and final thing we see here in verse 14 is that spiritual immaturity results in the inability to exercise spiritual discernment of right and wrong. Verse 14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. They're mature. That is, those who by reason of use... There has been this process of practice in their life that's gotten them into this condition that they have their senses exercised to the point that they can now discern both good and evil. Now, Christians on solid food, they mature, and their spiritual senses begin to be increased. And they can discern what is good, what is evil. But the immature may not possess that spiritual sense. Notice in verse 14, by reason of use, they have, they have practiced the Word of God continually. 
It has helped them grow. It's helped them develop. And now they've come to a greater spiritual capacity in their life because of that. The Lord Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. He said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. They don't just hear it. They keep it. They do it. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, it speaks that they, have, they are receiving the spiritual blessings of the Lord. They're laying up treasure in heaven. They're also able to have a close intimacy with the Lord, which equals great spiritual blessings in their lives like joy. I mean, a fullness of joy, a peace, a level of great comfort that comes, strength, power, gifts, discernment. Those things happen when we're applying the Word of God and we're growing in our walk with God and we're developing. It, it, it increases our spiritual senses. Now, this word senses could be used to refer to intellect and our morals. And again, it's, it's the spiritual capacity that we have. Now, let's just illustrate it this way for a moment. I use my senses to just navigate life don't we? We use all of our senses. For instance, if I were to, to uh, descend from this platform right now, it's going to take some, some senses. Number, number one, I need my eyes. That's going to help me so I can see where I'm going. But I also need the sense of feel and touch. Because if I had no feeling and touch in my, no feeling in my feet and legs, can you imagine, you know, trying to, trying to feel my footing and trying to get Stable. I mean, I would probably just collapse. I mean, have you ever... I do this sometimes when I'm studying. I'll prop my feet up on my desk, and I have a, a pad in my lap, and I'm reading books, and I'm writing. I do that for a long period of time, and I'll get up. You ever had that happen? Your feet go to sleep, you know? So you get up, and you just hit the floor pretty much. I mean, you're just kind of... You're just collapsing in the... You, and you can't hardly even walk because your, your legs are numb. So you need that touch to navigate off this platform. I need some of my senses to be able to do that. We need our spiritual senses to navigate life, to have the kind of worldview that we need to have, to discern things properly that's going on in the world, to understand what our priorities should be, to understand the moral and ethical teachings that we're to live by and not move away from no matter what everybody else is doing. We need those spiritual senses that comes by the enlightenment of the Word of God and applying it to know what is inherently wrong and what is inherently right and pleasing to God. We need that spiritual sense to understand what the priorities of life should be, how we should navigate this life, how we should relate to others. I mean, all of that is revealed to us in, in the Word of God. These Hebrew Christians, if they had been sharper in their spiritual senses, would not be entertaining an unfaithfulness to the Lord. I think there are probably many believers today who are being pressured by the world around them and they're being bombarded by the world around them and there's a, there is a temptation for them to back away from the things of God to fit more in with the world. It's because they don't have their spiritual senses sharpened. They're, they're in a stagnant spot. They're lazy spiritually and they're regressing in their walk with God and they're more vulnerable to these to this unfaithfulness. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 17, verses 17 through 19, 
This is in that prayer he prayed for his disciples in the upper room. He gets through with chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 are some of the richest chapters in, in the Word of God. I love um, those, those chapters there, those four chapters in John. And then he caps that off with his prayer for his disciples in, in chapter 17. And he prays not only for his disciples then, but also those who would come to know him through their witness. And here's what he said in these verses. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That word sanctifies the Greek word hagias, which means consecrated or holy. And the Lord himself was holy. His disciples were to be marked by holiness. What would it be that marked out these disciples as distinct and sanctified in the world? They were sent out into the world sanctified, set apart from the world, set apart to God. What was it besides their relationship and the regeneration of, of the new birth in Christ it was the truth of God, obedience to it, that sanctified them, that set them apart from everybody else. That's, listen, that's what I believe is missing in the church of Jesus Christ today. To a great degree, so many Christians look nothing different at all from the world around them. They don't look different from their... And I'm not talking about physically look. I'm talking about in the way they live their lives, the morals they have, the ethics they have, the priorities they have. It's, it's not any different than everybody else. But if we live for the Lord and we follow Him, His truth will sanctify us, set us apart. We will be distinct from everybody else in the world. And that is exactly how the Lord intends to use us in drawing people to Himself. That's why he sent them out sanctified by the truth of God. So they'd be different than everybody else. And people would see the difference and they would demonstrate the power of the gospel in their lives. And that's what needs to happen with all of us. Spurgeon said this. He said, the more truth you believe, the more sanctified you will be. The operation of truth upon the mind is to separate a man from the world unto the service of God. As we live out the truth, the distinctiveness of being in Christ is shown to everybody. So I ask this question, where are we? Where are we? Are we stagnant? dull of hearing or are we on solid food and our spiritual senses have been exercised and we're able to discern good and evil where are we in this are we able to take someone under our wing right now and teach them some of the basic fundamental truths of the faith and help them along are we able to take hold of some of the deeper truths of of, of the Lord to walk in a deeper level of righteousness. You see, listen, I think probably what some of these Christians did not understand is that part of having this deeper walk in righteousness means that you're willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. That you understand that there are times you're going to suffer for doing good. 
Are we able to grasp some of those truths right now? Are we able to discern really the world around us and kind of realize where things are and, and order the priorities that we should have in accordance with God's Word right now? Or will we say, I'm kind of muddy on that? It may be that God has shown some of us today that man, we're just not where we need to be spiritually. We're, we're dull in our hearing. We've not been applying the truth. And you may say, well, how do I fix that? Well, go back and think back on the basic fundamental truths of God, repentance, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what our baptism represents. Jesus Christ is our Lord. We've died to who we used to be. We're a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a future resurrection that we're going to take part of. That's why we're not living for the here and now. But we're living for the eternal kingdom that's coming. We understand the truth of a judgment. We've been delivered from it by the gracious Lord Jesus Christ. And in light of that, we live in obedience to Him. And we do know this. One day, each Christian also will stand before the Lord to give an account for how we've lived our lives for His glory. Remember those basic things and begin to live in light of those. And what will happen is we'll begin to wake up spiritually. <laughs> we'll begin to exercise our spiritual senses again. We'll be able to understand some of the deeper things of the Lord and, and our progress will begin to start again. And so maybe God has spoken to us to talk with Him right now and commit our lives to Him fresh and to confess some things in our life right now to get back on track. Then there could be some in this room today and you or online who would say, I, I have never truly come to Christ. Right now I am still separated from Him. And I know that if I were to die today, I would be eternally separated from Him because I have never repented and received Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, understand that as an unredeemed person, which all people are at least at one point until they come to Christ, we are alienated from God, separated from Him, and we cannot get to Him on our own. And that's why God in His great love sent Jesus who became man and lived the life here we could not live. He lived one of perfection. And then He died and rose again to satisfy God's justice toward our sin. And those who are willing to turn away from sin to Him and surrender to Him as Lord will be joined to Christ. They'll be forgiven of all sin. They'll be made righteous before God. The Spirit of God will come to live within you. You'll be given eternal life. And from this, from this day on, you will walk with Him and serve Him. And there could be some in this room that need to do that. And I'd invite you to come as we stand to sing in a moment. You come to me and say, I need Christ as Savior. If you're online watching, you can text us at 850-638-1830 and, and, and uh, text the word NEXT. And you'll see an option there wanting to know more about Christ. And so you can uh, do that. And one of our team will contact you about that. So however God has spoken... Maybe it's just an encouragement today. Just stay faithful. You're, you're being faithful. Just stay faithful. Keep feasting on the solid food and growing in your walk with God. But however He's speaking, let's obey Him. Father, I'm grateful for this Word. It's been a, a challenge in my own life. And I've seen areas, Lord, that uh, I, I need to work on. And I'm thankful, Lord God, for speaking to me. And I believe You've spoken to others. And I pray now, Lord God, that you'll help us to know what we're to do 
in response to this. Your, your word requires response. We're not just to hear this, but we're to do this. So however, Lord God, we need to re respond, I pray we will. So I'm asking for there to be freedom to do that, for us to spend time with you, to talk with you in these next few moments as we think through what's just been said from your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.